0: The following is sponsored by Reformation Sites, church websites for a modern Reformation. Visit ReformationSites.com and listen for more at the conclusion of this podcast.
1: This is Theology on the Go a brief interview about an eternal truth.
2: There are a large number of people out there who are genuinely Christians, but the church is dispensable as not something that is essential at all, but that one can easily do without. Hello
1: and welcome to Theology on the Go. I'm Jonathan Master, joined as always by my friend and co-host, James Dolzell. James, how are you?
0: I'm well. Not partner in crime. I mean, there are limits. I
1: almost said it. I almost said it just because it seemed to flow, but it really isn't the right thing to say. Um, we we have a, a guest today that we're both really delighted to welcome, uh, Terry Johnson, who's the senior minister of Independent Presbyterian Church in Savannah, Georgia. He's written a number of books over the years. We've had him on for interviews before. I I, I want to say at the outset, if you haven't read his books on worship and particularly worshiping with calvin you should pause the podcast and go out and order them right now but that's not the book we have him on to discuss today we have him on to discuss a new little book that he's written called who needs the church question mark why we need the church and why the church needs us so terry johnson thank you for joining us
2: um thank you it's an honor and I appreciate I do appreciate the opportunity to uh, talk about the book with you.
1: Well we're we're thankful for your labor in in writing it. I wanted to begin with the problem. Uh, what was it that you either saw in your own congregation or saw as you met other people in your ministry what, what was it that provoked you to write? Well, it really amounts to an excellent little introduction on ecclesiology, but what were the, what were the driving factors? You mentioned some problems at the beginning, some cultural problems that we're seeing uh, to a greater and greater degree. I wonder if you could outline those for us.
2: Uh, well, the main problem was a very practical one for us as a church, and that was uh, among the younger people um, post-college who were visiting the church. Uh, there seemed to be very little awareness of the importance of the church, and a, and a significant number of people who were just drifting from church to church, or not going to church at all, and uh, and yet were were genuinely, um, you know, evangelical Christians. Uh, you know, they believed in the authority of the Bible, and they believed that Jesus was the only way of salvation. But they were very content uh, to not belong to a church, or not join a church, or just gather with some friends on an ad hoc uh, basis at the local coffee shop and have a little prayer time and read a little scripture. And they would call that, uh, they would call that church. And so um, I I think the problem with that um, up and coming generation really finds its roots back in with the baby boomers. I think that there was a strong Anti-institutionalism that uh, characterized the 60s, the late 60s and into the 70s and 80s, that uh, you know uh, that really called into question all the institutions of society, from um, you know the government to the universities uh, to the professions and uh, the the church. Of course, was infected by that, and Christianity, Christians were infected by it, and and uh, there was just a large number. Of A large there are a large number of people out there who are genuinely Christians, but maybe church is dispensable as not something that is essential at all, um, but that one can easily do without.
1: When you speak to people like this, um, do you find that they are anti church or or they just see it as an optional extra if you happen to be near a church that you like, that's good, but it's not necessary i mean is it more is it more indifference or actual opposition
2: um i think it's uh it's uh, a little bit of outright opposition people who've been burned by the church um and so are disillusioned for one reason or another and want nothing to do with it uh anymore but i i think uh i think that m- more characteristic is uh, that they just don't necessarily see the importance. They don't see the relevance of it. It's a it's a indifference uh, to the church, and um, they um, they 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 just have this idea that they can thrive. They can flourish as Christians, and kind of treat uh, the church like the YMCA. You know, you go to it to work out. You come and go as you please. When you think you need a workout, you go. But you know, maybe you do some workouts at home, and that, that's okay for a, you know, a few weeks or a couple of months, and then you start to,, you, know, you, you overcome your inertia, and you, you make another trip over to the Y and get another workout. And so I think that's the way to treat the church. You know it's something that's there that uh, has some usefulness, and I go to it periodically as needs arise, I'm need-driven I'm need and need-driven when it comes to the church. Um, But I make use of it as uh, suits me, as fits my schedule, and as I'm motivated to do so.
0: Terry, you, in your subtitle, the first part of your subtitle, you say that this is a book about why we need the church. And you, in a series of of brief chapters, lay out and commend uh, the church, not just as as you say, need, not um, optional, um, not mere taste or desire, um, I wonder there's a chap in chapter four you you entitle it where Jesus is and I wonder if you could make a couple comments as to what do you mean by that where Jesus is I'm thinking particularly of his promise to be with us always even to the end of the age but how is he with us uniquely in the gathering of the local church
2: um well you you know very well that God is uh, omnipresent uh, he fills the universe with the you know the fullness of his being in every part of the universe. So he is always present, um, but we we aren't promised his blessed presence uh, anywhere in particular besides the gathering of the church. So yeah, I may I may encounter God on the golf course. I mean that's one of the uh, one of the proverbial. You know, answers that non-church attenders give, I've you know, that they find that, you know, God out, out there on the golf course. And, and that may be, I mean, I wouldn't want to say they don't. I would just say that there's no promise that you're going to encounter God. Um, there's no promise that Christ will be present, uh, that his blessed presence will be uh, perceivable, uh, that grace will be communicated and imparted. Mm-hmm. But there is that promise in connection with the gathering of the church where two or more have gathered in my name. He says uh, that he will be present. And so don't I want to be where Jesus says he is going to be? Uh, it, wouldn't that be essential? A, a, a wouldn't that be a priority uh, to be where he says he will be and where he promises he will be is where his people have, have gathered? And I, I, I would say a sub point to that, which I think is crucial to understand is, is that the church of which Jesus is speaking there in Matthew 18 is the visible church. And see, one of the excuses that you hear from people who have no ecclesiology and who are ready to dispense with the church or or treat it as, a, as something there to serve them rather than that they are to serve, and so they attend at convenience and not as an obligation or a duty, is that uh, their church is you know their own family, or their church is the handful of people that they gather with at their own convenience periodically. That's their church, and the church of which Jesus speaks is a church to which a thing can be told. Tell it to the church, he says in that same passage. Uh, in other words, the church has some structure. The church has a membership because the uh, the, the unrepentant sinner can be excluded from it. Let him be to you as a gentile and a tax gatherer. So the church of which Jesus is speaking, if you if you you know if you want to penetrate into the the depths of what he's saying there, is a, is an institution. It has membership. One can be included and excluded. That means there are standards of belief, standards of conduct. That means there must be leaders, officers, a, a form of discipline. So we're talking about visibility now. We're talking about the church as an institution. It's that church that he says uh, he will bless with his presence. So I think that the whole argument of the anti-institutionalist, and I think, just collapses in light of Matthew 18. Um, so if you combine Matthew 16, I will build my church, and you join that to tell it to the church you can see that it is an absolute priority, uh, according to Jesus, in terms of his whole, the whole incarnation, uh, the atonement, and and his earthly ministry. What's he there to do? Well, how does he sum up the incarnation? I will build my church. He's building a church, and the church that he builds is a church uh, to which a which a, a thing can be told, um, and so has a structure, and so has. Uh, um, requirements for membership. Uh, uh, you can be included. You can be excluded. There are leaders. There's a form of discipline and so forth and so on.
1: You know, that's such an important qualification or or, or, um, or clarification, I guess, is the word I'm looking for, because I've heard many times people use the Matthew 18:20, where two or three are gathered in my name. There I am with them to defend the, the golf foursome and the, you know, the coffee shop meeting. But but i think what what you're saying which is which is absolutely right in in the context of scripture and in the context of jesus teaching is no that we're we're talking here about the church with all of the structures that are that are meant to be there
2: well right i mean if you if you extract verse 20 of matthew 18 from the rest right. of the chapter and particularly its immediate context yeah you you could probably make an argument for it. Uh, the informal gathering at the coffee shop. But right. you can't in light of verses fifteen to twenty, where where Jesus talks about a brother sinning and you reprove him and you tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen to the church, I mean this is not this invisible entity that's without any form or structure. Um, no, it's it's an institution. And in which he goes on to say, if you whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in in heaven. So I think that uh, I think it's a total mishandling of the two or three uh, uh, promise to, to try to make that into uh, just uh, the informal association of some people that happen to be Christians.
0: Terry, near the end of your volume, you uh, discuss two th- two other kinds of institutions: uh, the first, parachurch institutions, or you also call it quasi church. Well, how would you respond to those that say I I am part of an of institutional Christianity, uh, namely an incorporated Christian ministry, uh, or a parachurch ministry? Is that sufficient? Do you find within that institutional structure enough of the critical mass to count for an ecclesiology?
2: Well, in the chapter, I'm you know I'm trying to fight. What I think is, uh, you know, it's not a phenomenon that I'm making up. It's one that I've uh, observed and many people have observed that the, the parachurch, which by their own definition, where we're, you know, we're talking about things like navigators and intervarsity and campus crusade, they identify as, as parachurch that is alongside of the church, supportive of the church. But what they become is a quasi church and, and because I'm part of a parachurch organization and I'm with Christians and we pray together and we read the Bible together. That becomes my church, but that is exactly what the parachurch is not. And there are associated problems because it, it it lacks um, the kind of accountability that comes with a properly structured church and it ends up supplanting the the church uh, rather than, um, Than standing alongside of it, it comes to replace the church. And uh, that, that is a mentality that is an outlook that is a problem. You know, we have in our own community, we have these parachurch organizations and we find some of our people from who, from whose labor and fellowship we would greatly benefit. We find that all their time is getting consumed in parachurch organizations. And that's where they end up sending their money. That's where they uh, that's who they uh, associate with, that's who they have fellowship with, that's who they study the Bible with, and and so it completely overtakes uh, what ought to be the commitment to the church. And in a, again, in a properly structured church, you enter into a church by taking vows. You promise, You make promises to God and to his people. The church is a covenanting community. It always has been, going all the way back to Abraham. Um, and you enter into it by covenant, by promises, and yet the people to whom you made the promises, um, uh, you are not fulfilling those promises, those those uh, those promises of commitment and mutual accountability and responsibility and so forth. That's all getting fulfilled over here in the parachurch while the church itself is being neglected. So that's why I wrote that that uh, that chapter, because I think what tends to happen with too many people Certainly not in every case, and I'm not anti-parachurch. I think they have their role; they have a place. I think they've been a help. I think they've stepped in where the church has failed. I think part of the reason why there are parachurch groups is because the church has failed in its mission. But I think it's a, it's a dangerous thing and it's a harmful thing when the parachurch becomes a quasi-church and absorbs the commitments that are meant to be made in the context of the mutual responsibility and accountability that is in the church itself. Terry,
1: we're almost at the end of our time, but I, I, I couldn't leave this interview without asking about something that you introduce very provocatively. I think, at the conclusion of the book, you propose a new sola. So we're familiar with the, the, the five solas of the of the Reformation that summarize Reformation teaching in many ways, but you propose a sixth, and I wonder if you could I- explain that and explain why you think this is. Such an essential component of our of our theology and our Christian practice.
2: Well, I, I you know I'm not the first to come up with this, and so I do footnote it and and say that I you know I've heard others, I've read of others who are um, who are advocating um, or at least suggesting that this might be a helpful thing to do. And I, I think the point is the solas are essential, and as Presbyterians, uh, which some of us are. You know, our confession of faith says that outside of the church there is no ordinary possibility of salvation. I mean, that's a very, very surprising and very, very high ecclesiology. I would say most most people, when they come to the confession of the first time, they're they're stunned to see such a strong statement being made that outside of the church there's no ordinary possibility of salvation. Well whereas I think if you read the book of Acts with any honesty at all you'd have to say that the the new testament and you know and go on through the epistles does not imagine does not envision the possibility of somebody being a christian and not being a part of the church if you're a christian you get baptized into the fellowship of the church if you're not baptized into the church you're not really a christian you confess me before men i confess you before my father who is in heaven you can you believe in your heart, you confess with your mouth. In other words, you step forward and you publicly identify with, with God's people, with the disciples of Christ, by being a part of the church that he loves and whom, which he nourishes and cherishes and which he purchased with his own blood. And so um, I'm, I'm suggesting it because I think it needs, we need to reaffirm that it is essential. It's not an option. Uh, for us to be a part of the institutional visible church. It is absolutely essential, and the confession, and I would argue Scripture itself, um, closely connects salvation with membership in the visible church.
3: Well, Terry,
1: thank you for your work uh, on this little book, and we are hoping that it gains a wide audience. Uh, Certainly, James and I both benefited from it, and, and thanks for your time today. We really appreciate it.
2: Well, thank you. I'm hoping that the book will be helpful, um, and I, I wrote it at the prompting of one of our younger ministers uh, because he was so troubled by the fact that his generation uh, tends to have such a low view of, uh, of actually uh, being a part of and members of uh, the church. So I hope it's helpful to those who are finding the same problem, and I, I hope it'll be useful to them as they try to redirect the thinking of young Christians.
1: Well I I think it really hits the nail on the head with respect to that problem which I think all of us have have seen is it is an increasingly uh, significant one in our culture today. So we we thank you
2: for it. All right, well thank you for the opportunity.
1: Well, James, this is a book that is written to address a contemporary problem and there are statistics in the be- in the beginning that talk about how people view church and all this kind of thing. Um but but the reality is that this is, in one sense, a very timeless little book because the truths contained are very clearly presented and they're biblical. It's just a it's just a short introduction to ecclesiology when you get right down to it.
0: Jonathan, both you and I have worked for many years uh, for parachurch organizations, and we have seen uh, within those organizations uh, something very much like what, Uh, Terry Johnson is talking about where the Christian fellowship and the camaraderie enjoyed within that institution becomes a surrogate for the church, but you don't have membership and you don't have discipline and you don't have sacraments or officers. You might have preaching and a chapel service, but that's not the same thing as your pastor shepherding you through the public ministry of the word. And while we both are believers in the benefit in the profitability uh, to individuals and to churches of those parachurch organizations, I think the dangers that he outlines um, are very real. And I think he spotlights, as you mentioned, a, a deep underlying non-committal, non-committance, if that's the right word, to the institution of the of the church as opposed to an institution of Christians. And we should distinguish between the two of those. Yeah, I think you're right. It's it's probably one of the
1: besetting sins of parachurch organizations, so much so that unless you're working hard to avoid it, um, it, it almost some seems inevitable that it will creep into some degree. But in any case, there are other things as well. It's not just parachurch organizations. It's the coffee group that I get together with where we have some deep conversations or the golf foursome where we talk about our marriages and our spiritual life. All of which can be good and encouraging and helpful, but that's not the church, and um, so that—that's really the the burden of the book. But that is a such a widespread problem.
0: I thought when he brought up the uh, example of I I can meet Jesus on the golf course, uh, and I don't want to deny that he you know he fills heaven and earth, um, and he dwells in each of us through his Spirit. I just I I wanted to throw in there why does that always have to happen at 10 a.m. on Sunday morning? Right,
3: right, right. <laughs> yeah, a, no, that's it.
0: Yeah, I, all the, and, and
1: it, well, actually, that that brings up a serious point, which is some of these things may have ancillary benefits and even maybe spiritually beneficial, but in no way can they be allowed to compete with God's commands or to compete with the church. If, if that's happening, then you can be sure that whatever it is you're experiencing, it's not a blessing
0: of the Lord. Well, I think that I think that Terry does a very good job commending the importance of the church in our lives and also of our lives in the church. And I think he hits both sides of those. That the church is the people, it is the ecclesia, it is the gathering. But as he as he said, and this is this was just vintage Terry Johnson really walking through what is necessary for the structure, not just a kind of sentimental gathering of people who like the same songs and all love Jesus, which isn't the worst thing in the world, but also not the church.
1: That's right. So the book is, Who Needs the Church? And then the subtitle, Why We Need the Church?, and Why the Church Needs Us by Terry Johnson. If you'd like to enter to win a copy of this book, we do have a few to give away. You can go to placefortruth.org, click on the Theology on the Go link, and there'll be a place for you to enter your information there. If you are able to give, uh, it's so important that uh, we have regular donors who support us. That's why we're able to do this. You can do that at placefortruth.org or at alliancenet.org. And if you know someone who might benefit from this podcast, please spread the word. Share it with them. Uh, Rate and review on wherever wherever it is that you download these podcasts. So that helps us spread the word. And we want to thank you for listening to Theology on the Go, a brief interview
3: about an eternal truth. Hey there, this is Eric from Reformation Sites. These days, having an effective church website is vital to ministry. Unfortunately, it's not easy to find someone in your church to put together a site that reaches out to visitors and ministers to members. That's what Reformation Sites does for your church. With beautiful, mobile-ready designs to choose from, helpful service, and useful features, your website will be ready when people are searching for churches in your area. It also integrates with many popular services like sermon audio, live streaming, and online giving with pricing that fits into any church budget. We want to help your church start off strong this year, which is why in January, we're offering 40% off the website setup fee. Get started today by using coupon code RS40 when you go to ReformationSites.com. Reformation Sites church websites for a modern reformation.